0: It, we fucked up so much dude when we walked into shot show in 2008 our product sucked 2008 sitco sucked i was embarrassed at Shot. there were zipper pulls falling off threads coming out and it was a train wreck but we made it through we made it through a thousand a thousand things but i think if you have that magic and the right people you're going to get through those moments
1: Awesome, dude. Well, thanks for coming over here. Um, oh, I think, yeah, big effort. I really appreciate it. Hey, sorry yep. we had to do it early in the morning like this, but I was up a couple hours
0: ago, and you never have to twist my arm to come back to Montana.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're in. You're traveling over to Bozeman, so we're you're gonna have a little bit of maybe some sketchy roads, but
0: yeah. Actually, to be honest with you, I didn't even look at the forecast. I probably should have. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> uh, the The late last night when I looked. Just briefly, it didn't look too bad, but I'm used to it. I lived here for seven and a half years, um, so I'll just take it easy. I don't have to actually be there. Uh, I got to go tonight, but the funeral I got to go to is tomorrow. Yeah, so okay. I have so all day a, to get there, so I'll just take entry. my time, grab a coffee. Perfect. Yeah. Where do you live now? Oregon. Yeah, I left Bozeman in 2019 after I left Sitka. Okay. Yeah. What? So,
1: what? What took you out to Oregon? I grew up
0: there, so I grew up in rural Oregon, a little logging town. And, okay. Uh, you know, when we lived in Montana, we have three kids, my wife and I, and when I was at Sitka, I was traveling constantly, you know, growing the company. Well, you know, better than anybody, right? Yeah. Growing a company, you're on the road constantly. And my wife was stuck at home with the kids and, um, all our, but our family's out in Oregon. Uh, we both grew up there. So okay. the grandparents would come out, but only so much right to help and hiring babysitters at the time wasn't super affordable so basically my wife was stuck at home so long story yeah. short um we moved back to Oregon to get close to family and we wanted our kids to know their grandparents yeah pretty important to us so that was one of the determining reasons as to why I left my career at Sitka
1: oh really yeah so yeah well, that time growing up in in Oregon what, what did your folks do
0: so my dad was uh in the timber industry so like I said it's a little logging town called Dallas Oregon and uh, he actually, well, first he was a shepherd, which is kind of crazy and weird. Um, really? And, yeah. He he uh, he's kind of a stoner hippie, you know. Yeah. Like in the seventies, and then he actually became addicted to salmon fishing, and he he was a dory commercial fisherman with dories. I don't. If, do you know what a dory is? No. Dories are boats. Um, I don't know how many places they do this, but in Oregon, there's a place called Pacific City, and in Pacific City, these these. They launch the boat right off the sand, so they back their the, the boat trailer into the waves. They they dump the boat, they turn it around. They're like with waders on. They turn around, jump in, and hit the motor and go over the waves out there. They fish for the day, and then they when they come back in, they uh, they get a bunch of speed and they just fly in and slide up back on the beach. Really it's called dory boat. Okay, so he's a dory commercial fisherman for a while just solo you'd go out catch salmon every day and so I, i've seen those guys going out doing that and i've seen some
1: some wild videos in fact even a, a dude in costa rica that costa rica generally doesn't have much for like seas it's usually pretty calm but when i was there they'd had a bunch of a bu- bunch of bad weather kind of rode at a beach whatnot but it was still pretty rough and there so there were some dudes in those little boats like that and man for the first like few hundred yards going out there i mean they were it was they were getting after it oh yeah hitting those waves and i mean their boat was damn near straight vertical at times hitting those things i was like dude those guys are nuts
0: (laughs) yeah they are uh they have to time it perfectly they have to wait for the right sets to come in and just hit it full throttle and right over the waves it's actually really fun yeah uh i've gotten to do it obviously a few times but i get really seasick so same (laughs) dude have you found a hack for it because i'm still looking for the perfect hack
1: so am i i two things about myself i really don't like or at least the top two i struggle to remember names and i get seasick me too and uh in fact Last time we were in Mexico and tried to go deep sea fishing, my wife videoed me and laughed hilariously as I barfed over the edge of the boat.
0: It's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst feeling ever. And I
1: want to be a deep sea fisherman like I love like, you know, going out and catching marlin or doing all that like it's it all appeals to me in every way. God. And I and I always think I'm doing good, you know, mm-hmm bombing oh, yeah. out there i'm like i'm dude i'm good today like this is gonna be yeah. good and we got out there and then he like kills the engines and they start getting you know tackle ready and everything and you know then pretty soon like you
0: start to get hot and i'm like no like i'm just like fighting it and then the next thing you know i'm like yep i'm gonna get sick dude the last time it happened to me i actually made it three and a half hours like we caught our limits of salmon and then we went out to check some crab traps and he pulled up the crab trap and it must have been the smell or something and i started to get that kind of flushed feeling yeah and i was just right before that just like you i was like all right i made it through because we're gonna check the crabs and then go back i'm like hell yeah i made it through my first and i used um whatever the medication is the motion sickness oh dramamine i had taken oh, that, yeah. that day dude and, i ate a handful of those that day and i still <laughs> didn't help <laughs> dude that crab pot came up and i just out of absolutely nowhere. I was lucky I made it over the side of the boat, but really? Oh, yeah. But last year or um, we were in Molokai with my family and we went out fishing. I put two a patch behind each ear and I took the pill. Um, then I can't remember if I took it the night before or whatever, but I actually made it through the trip and it was choppy. I felt pretty good, but I still felt like I had to like mentally tough through the yeah the queasiness so um i had a guy named cliff gray on my podcast the other day and he spear fishes a lot dude i want to be a spear fisherman so badly like yeah. it seems so cool i want to be a surfer and he's like dude he's like i i have to fight it every time i go out there and i'm like i just don't know if i can do that if i if i felt like shit every time i went hunting yeah, yeah I, I would find I something else to do yeah by the way? okay so, um i wouldn't do it no 100 percent
1: i that's my that's my point so i had a guy just you know a couple months ago here in Frenchtown. he's like hey man we're at my kid's basketball game shoot and he was like uh hey we're going on this fishing trip we just had a dude cancel and it was like cheap like where are already basically it's already paid for throw a little money in and like let's go and i'm like that all sounds amazing but like i'll be the guy on a five-day fishing trip that day one's barfing and will feel like shit the entire time i won't really enjoy it i'm gonna spend money and frankly the time away like you only have so much time when we're doing what we're doing to like go do something so i'm like okay i can take a week and go fishing or i can take a week in another month and go or two and go bear hunting Mm -hmm. and not be miserable and barfing yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it it is appealing because it's like such a such a frontier out there and um have you ever speared fished we, we did that.
1: a little bit off the coast of, of of maui last last year and so we didn't have to boat out we just uh-huh. swam out off the shore uh-huh. and i thought it was super cool but i'm i'm not great in water mm-hmm. and i'm also i mean grew up in montana right so right. like um i'm not great in water i'm also nervous that everything on the bottom looks like it's gonna sting your ass um fact check true and also there is stuff that can eat you in there but <laughs> I, and i'm not even that scared of that necessarily like that shit will happen i guess it happens but um if you know i don't go out in the woods think i'm gonna get eaten by a bear all the time true. either but you, you like i can see the appeal i would love to do it more um but if it involves a boat probably yeah. not gonna
0: yeah you like it i i like the thought of it i like underwater hunting I was on the big island this last summer with a buddy of mine who grew up and he's like totally Hawaiian. And I'm like, dude, bring your spear and stuff. Um, the first time I did it was with Kimmy Warner. Um, yeah. And Mark Healy off of Lanai. And I lasted like five minutes. I'm like, I got to get in the boat. I was sick. I got sick. Just just even just being out because th- you're on the boat first. So I'm already queasy. And then you get in the water and you're still like getting rocked. And I know the pe- the yeah. ocean people are like, you, pussy, you know, yeah. I don't know I felt like crap so I got in the boat anyways last last year on the big island I swam right off the beach with my buddy Steve and uh I tried to follow I made it like 100 yards out there and I was like following him but he he was he was so fast and like mobile yeah and that's a workout that you don't do anywhere else Yes, right like we're not getting that in Oregon and Montana and you know I'm in pretty good shape but I was like yeah
1: well and if you cramp up out there 100 yards from shore like Your ass is drowning.
0: Yeah. And then you look back, you're like, shit, that's a long ways back to shore. I I hope I don't freak. And then you're, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about tides and Is it going to suck me out. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, I don't know. It starts getting, anyways, I, um, I went out there and I just see him like, just keep going and going and going. And I, there's a a rock outcropping that I can stand up on. And I stood up and I looked out there and he was like a hundred yards past. I could see a snorkel. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm out. And I came back to shore and I just sat there and waited for him to come back it's one of those things where i I, i'm a hunter and underwater underwater hunting seems so appealing to me mark healy told me one time he's like you think elk bugling's cool i'm like yeah of course that's like my number one thing he's like wait till you hear the the, the humpback whales he's like let me take you to to the in the ocean i'd like i'm like oh my god that would be so rad yeah but also i can't hold my breath like mark healy yeah no shit (laughs)
1: no shit dude talking to like justin lee and those guys and like they're telling it almost like and and that was the other thing that was really surprising me when we did you know we swam out and we probably got into water that was you know at the deepest there was probably some 20 20 20 foot water Mm -hmm. most of it was like six to ten and you know dude drops down there and he's laying on the bottom and he's just sitting there and then what i was amazed by is like you drop down there and like my ears are hurting and he was showing you how to clear your ears. But then like one, it's a struggle for me to get down and then and then you're laying there and I'm there ten seconds and I'm like, All right, I'm gonna need some air. And he's he lays there for like two minutes, you know, and he's scratching the rocks and, oh, yeah. you know, trying to get the fish to come and um I just feel like it would take you'd have to live on the beach and do it a lot yeah. to build up your tolerance and your like even just like you're saying swimming out that far i use so much energy oh my god i use a lot of energy to just not drown (laughs) (laughs) these people who my wife does it like we were in when we were in costa rica she's out there and she's just treading water having a conversation and i'm just over there (laughs) like yeah working to stay alive have you served no dude there again i think it would be awesome
0: oh it's it's one of the most amazing feelings like if you actually stand up and ride a wave in boogie boarding too dude but the workout getting out there and like paddling in and paddling back out is something you just can't us us land dwellers can't replicate that workout and i just i get tired after one wave i've tried it multiple times i in my mind i'm a surfer i really want to be and someday oh i'm a pro surfer yeah (laughs) yeah someday maybe i'll like you know later when i i don't know i can also win the daytona 500 <laughs> just give me the right car <laughs> if i just had a decent pit crew but i think about taking people hunting also that are that are new to it right and i think they look at it the same way like how do you sleep out there you know aren't you scared of bear that type even of even the
1: physical side of that with a little bit of altitude you know i've taken some people that are not frankly in you know better shape than i am and kick their ass like I, for some reason just like moving through the mountains and mm-hmm. whatever like even not being in like top fit shape like i can go in the mountains fine you know like the guy last year was like damn bro like i didn't expect and we were with a couple guys that are you know quote unquote in shape and i mean they were struggling
0: yeah and i think some of that has to do with when you're doing something new like you're tense and you're yeah. nervous and you're like your your cortisol's up I know this because I started jujitsu last year at the age of 42 and the first six months I was ruined every time ruined. But as I've done it more and I'm a little bit more comfortable, I don't come home nearly as tired or sore and I last a lot longer in the gym. Yeah. I just, and I think a lot of my problems in the beginning was I was so nervous and tense and just you're thinking through everything. It's like just a, but as if you've been hunting your whole life, like, like we have, and my, my wife when she comes with me she's like you just move through the woods like naturally like right. jumping going with logs whatever but it's natural to me i've been doing it since i was two and, right. and a half years old three years old um so i think there's a little bit of that too so when mark healy gets in the ocean it's just like home oh, you know yeah. and to me it's like this scary new place and i'm so everything i'm stressed out right? yeah
1: yeah yeah the uh josh hall's told me several times he's like you need to come down to uh san diego and go surf with me and jocko and i'm just like no no like <laughs> that all sounds i can envision i can envision myself you know on a wave you know with jocko like riding it but like
0: the whole process of actually doing it? No. <laughs> like, well and if you're doing it in cold water no thing dude i've done it once one time in oregon where i live and the water's like i don't know it's like 48 or 50 um no it was absolutely even with a wet i know people are like dude if you wear a wetsuit you're gonna be okay it was still cold it was yeah. still cold and i'm we sound like, so tough I know we are tough. Yeah, we are. The water's cold and I
1: get sick on the boat. <laughs> it's really hard to get. Meanwhile, out I'll go hunting.
0: My ears hurt in like, neg- you know, <laughs> negative 20. And like, it's just a different thing. You know? Yeah,
1: it is for sure. So growing up, uh, um, you, you, your dad got into logging then?
0: Um, or? he, he actually got into, um, buying timberland. So okay. like, um, but yeah, he had to learn all the, you know, the logging side of it, the, the timber industry is one of the biggest industries where i'm from Mm -hmm. and um so he was actually a a buyer for for quite a long time um until he had a couple deals go sour and he had to totally get out of it Mm -hmm. but yeah i grew up around tons of logging i was always going to logging jobs with him because he would buy he'd buy property and manage the trees so i grew up going to a lot of logging jobs learning all about that and uh around that industry and he's done that for well He's been part of that industry for forty-five years. He actually um, ultimately became on, more on the real estate side, like mm-hmm. representing buyers and stuff. That's why we have our company, Made Out West Land Company, now where we timberland all across Oregon. Um, but yeah, man, he he was a. He's never had a real job. He's never had a website. He's never had. He never even had a business card. He didn't. When I moved back to Oregon to start this company with him, he had never done any marketing. He's just. He's just built this reputation and, um, and business from, uh, from nothing. And he, he had that true entrepreneurial spirit that I think that's what kind of, you could argue it screwed me up and kind of made me what I am, you know, yeah. um, because I can't hold down a normal job either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, that's where I got from as my dad and my, my grandpa moved out to Oregon in the, in the fifties, um, because of the hunting and fishing, mm-hmm. he left his entire family out there in the Pennsylvania and uh, so kind of that the outdoor spirit came from him, passed on to my dad, and then my dad passed the entrepreneurial spirit onto to me so mm-hmm. that that dad. um
1: that's one thing I always say like we we live definitely in the easiest times today, and we have lots of advantages and stuff, but I'm definitely jealous of those you know, like like your grandpa like going from Pennsylvania to Oregon in the fifties and seeing Oregon in the fifties or California or Montana, you know idaho um. you know that was before the interstate like through i think the interstate in montana came through in like 68 or 9 or Mm -hmm. something 70 Mm -hmm. um seeing all that country and we were just talking about this the other day with kind of how you know messed up portland and Mm -hmm. you know the coast just up and down the coast is with politics Mm -hmm. and the way things have gone but if you just took people off of it and you said like tell me what the most beautiful state beautiful landscape even though i'm from montana like Give me California, like
0: Northern it, California is it's unbelievably gorgeous. If it's, there was, if there was, we lived in Sonoma for a while. When Sitka was started in Napa, Dixon, California, but we had our first real office was in Napa. Dude, the Bay Area is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. If there wasn't ten, you know, two million too many people there, yeah. <laughs> and know?
1: all the way down south, I mean, to be able to be from, you know, the coast to the mountain ranges and all the farm ground in yeah. between and the ranch land, I mean, I can't imagine back in the early 1900s what that place would have been i mean Me and you my can wife see why everybody flooded time.
0: to it um, can you imagine being <clears throat> a native american and seeing the bay area like oh 300 years ago how beautiful that must have been um oregon is a beautiful state we get yeah. we get a bad rap obvious and we sh- and some of it's due right? right portland is a disaster and our politics are a disaster mm-hmm. but the state itself is really diverse and it's actually a here's the thing i i grew up there and wherever you grow up you you i feel like you just you're you're just waiting to leave like you're not gonna like there's this like natural rebellious part of you that just wants to get the hell out of there yeah and i had that for sure and i left for 11 years and traveled the world and did all kinds of cool stuff when i came back i had such a greater appreciation for it yeah one of the things i don't miss about montana for instance it's just i I, the winters didn't really bother me but i do like the more moderate winters in oregon even though i hate the rain um but you can go outside and do stuff and whatever but um i like that i can be at the coast in an hour i can be skiing in two hours i can be in the desert in three hours um it's really diverse and um but to your point it gets there's there's not so good parts of it too
1: yeah and it's oregon is you know similar in the way that montana and even washington are where you've got your your west side and your timber ground your mountains and Mm -hmm. you've got your east side with your farm and ranch ground and more arid climate and you know it's all those states are very diverse but i mean having an ocean uh, you know backed up against like your west boundaries it's awesome i mean it's it is it's amazing it's really too bad that it's the
0: two-legged deer that mess it up. Yeah. When my grandpa came out, the reason he loved Oregon so much was the steelhead fishing and the salmon fishing, which was incredible back then. Now it's a total train wreck mm-hmm. um, for a multitude of reasons. It's an entire podcast. Um, but mostly it was the mule deer hunting. Oh, really? Yeah. So do the mule deer hunting that they had in like the sixties and seventies. in I would classify it as central Oregon um if you look at the record books there was the genetics there were amazing but it was a heyday i look at, i used to go through when i was a kid and look through all their old old photo books yeah I mean, they were they'd go over there for five days and shoot 25 right. giant bucks yeah they know? were a little bit of the problem there yes for a of while. course right yes <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes admittedly admittedly right. my yeah, dad admits no, I mean, that now he's like yeah we probably shouldn't have done that y- we know? would have done it too back then. right and that was just what they knew right? right you go over there you fill all your tags plus a couple right you know they were it, things have changed a lot. People can right. judge all they want, but that's just the way that it was back
1: yeah, then. Yeah. And it's changed for the better on that regard. So obviously, but of
0: course you, I assume then they took you hunting when you were a kid. Yes. Um, yeah. My dad started taking me as soon as I came out of the womb, you know, I, yeah. I was, I was helping him guide when I was like six years old, seven okay. years old for elk. And like, I was following along with the, in the woods and even he would let me like, you know, spot something for clients mm-hmm. or whatever and uh, I used to spend all day outside. I grew up on 20 acres, thankfully. And they'd kick me out the door with my longbow or my BB gun or my twenty two, Even by the time I was like seven, eight years old, I'd yeah. be 22. And i just go and shoot birds and frogs and rabbits and yep. whatever I could find. And, yeah, man, it was always my number one thing. I, I was not very, like, naturally intelligent or anything. You know, I, got, I was a pretty average student. In fact, in high school, I was... Low average. I graduated with a 1.82. Yeah. You know, a lot of that was because I was drinking too much and yeah. having too much fun. But, um, was
1: your what was your, when you left high school then, you went to college? I did not. No. Oh, you didn't? No.
0: I was actually, believe it or not, <clears throat> uh, a golf pro. So I was a state champion golfer in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, I thought that would be a good way to make money so I could hunt too. I thought, yeah, I had this vision in my mind. Maybe I could golf. And well, hunt. a
1: life of golf and hunting is a, about as good a plan as a person can make, and there
0: are pga tour pros that can do that the problem was is i wasn't good enough to plan the pga tour i mean i was i probably would have been a decent division two golfer mm-hmm. but i wasn't good enough to be even division one um i maybe could have been the prop there was one main problem all the biggest tournaments were started in august and in september and every year i would just fall down the tube when elk started bugling. Really? And I just did not care about golf anymore. Yeah. So I kind of realized over the course of time, I did that for four or five years, and I just realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I cared more about hunting, and that was about the time I met Jason Harrison. So how did that meeting happen? So we used to do this uh, pig hunt in California every year with a friend of mine, Brian Morris, um, and he was friends with Jason Harrison. They lived in the same area, and Jason came on this pig hunt in 2000 and. Uh, five, yeah, 2005, and I met Jason. We were down mm-hmm. there, and he had a box of prototypes of this new company he was calling or starting, Sitka Gear. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave out <clears throat> these vests. To everybody, I didn't get one because he didn't have my size. But actually, at the time, I had a journal, and I wrote in my journal, "I just met this guy, Jason. He's starting this cool company called Sitka Gear. That'd be cool to work for a company like that someday." Yeah. And um, then the next year, he came again, and we kind of became friends and um anyways he i was out picking the driving range one day at this golf course that i worked at and i forgot to mention i did start college when i was 22 so i finally did go back to college and work my business degree okay jason harrison called me i was picking the the, the driving range and i was three years into college and he says hey uh we're looking for our first full-time employee um besides so it was jonathan hart mm-hmm. jason harrison and then pk hart which was jonathan's brother so there's three of them at the time mm-hmm. he goes but we're gonna we need to hire somebody so would you do it and i said man i would love to but i have uh i have like two semesters of college left mm-hmm. and i d- i don't want to quit right now i'm almost done mm-hmm. um but man call me in six months okay no problem i hang up the phone go in the pro shop call my girlfriend I'm like, dude, I just passed up a freaking dream job. Yeah. And she's like, oh my God, you should have asked about, you should about asked about doing um, internship for college credit. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. And uh, my phone blows up. Jason, answer it. Jason says, hey, what if we gave you, what if we got you college credit and you did an internship? <laughs> and I said, done, I'll be there in two weeks. And so it cause it was almost summer. So I went down there, I spent the summer there, just, you know, how it goes, just sweeping floors, answering phones. I mean, it was only four of us, right? And yeah.
1: So what was it? What was the setting there? Was it a garage? Like No. The, so they had
0: just moved into right before I got there. So they came from Jason's garage, which was in Dixon, California. And right when I got there, they had moved into a corporate park, the first office. So okay. it was like this big, I mean, I think there might've been like four or five private offices, a couple conference rooms or something and it was just the four of us and i walked in the first day and uh they had just got these boxes of fresh new product and they set me up with this whole. i mean it was like i felt like i was living in like this alternate reality yeah somewhere i have a picture of me wearing all this brand new cool stuff and uh yeah i just
1: what were those two guys's roles at that point with jonathan and jason like you know like brandon and i here, you know Brandon's more the marketing guy, right? I'm the knife guy. Yeah. Um, what were their roles at that time?
0: At the time, um, Jason was more of a, like kind of business development sales. And Jonathan was more on the marketing brand side. Jonathan's a brilliant brand guy. Mm-hmm. Not that Jason wasn't. He, he, had his, he, he was as well. But at the time, that's kind of how it set up. And then over time, that morphed a little bit. Mm-hmm but Jonathan was definitely more the brand marketing and Jason and J- I would say at that time, Jason was more on the product side too. So he was, yeah. but you know how it works. Everybody's doing everything right? You know, the phone rings, you answer it and you figure out how to do it type yep. of thing.
1: You yep. know, it's kind of a divide and conquer and yeah. Yeah. Brandon, I'm generally more on the relationship side with our stuff and business development relationship side, like brands more of the marketing, like, you know, the actual marketing and setting all that stuff up. But like Definitely there's conversations and there's connections that happen where, you know, he's bringing in guys or making a connection with a company or, you know, doing the relationship side too. So like you say, it's kind of just divide and conquer.
0: For know? years. For yeah. years. I mean, people people have this um, <clears throat> kind of delusional, I guess, thought of how companies run sometimes, especially for the first five or even 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's freaking all hands on deck i mean we didn't really have the def- really like actual defined roles at sitka for quite a while i mean mm-hmm. years it was i mean we did we did but and you would do that maybe 70 percent of the time but at the end of the day like if i was doing marketing stuff because i ended up being the marketing director mm-hmm. i might be doing that but i also might have to go back and pack a box a or or, or freaking you know pack a trade show booth you I, know, I
1: say here the the quickest way for me to get rid of somebody here is for me to hear them utter the words it's not my job right like that will get you run out
0: yeah (laughs) yeah it's just it's if 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 you're wired and there are people that are wired that way they have to know their day it happens a little bit later on right there are I'm sure Sitka now I haven't been there for several years but they're big enough now to where they can probably have pretty defined roles that they know what they're going to do every day maybe but even the 11 years I was there Maybe like the last two or three that really started happening. And actually to be honest, I don't enjoy that. Yeah. I, I like that's why I like hunting. Right. It's an adventure. I like my work to be an adventure. Like mm-hmm. I love when we were walking around your office this morning. It brought us back so many fond memories of when we were building Sitka mm-hmm. and when we were building some of these other companies I've worked on. It's like that's the fun part, man. And I and I think sometimes we get frustrated with it and we're like, God, I can't wait till we're big enough to where I don't have to do this anymore. But I feel like when that happens, I know it because it happened. You, you'll you miss it. And yeah. I try to remind our people at peaks too. It's like, yeah, you can say that. But remember, this is like the good old days. Like these messes right. we're dealing with, These it's chaos. Right. This is the time that like really forges you and you miss it. Yeah. And then once it's easy, things that are easy don't really give you that much gratification. And, you know, I don't know. That's, do you feel the same? Oh, yeah. A
1: hundred percent. No, I, and I, I love it. I'm a, so there again, like it's interesting. I heard a quote, like, I'm I'm you talk about like high school, right? Like I'm that C student kid, like barely good enough grades to just keep my parents off my ass, right? Because I wanted to make knives, and wanted to hunt, I wanted to go work with my dad in the excavation business, right? All that stuff. Like wasn't necessarily the smartest kid, but maybe not because I wasn't capable of it, I just wasn't interested, right? But like they they also say that the C students are the people who figured out. Like, you're you're the you're the person that's the figured out guy. The straight Mm -hmm. A student is like the engineer and the doctor and whoever that work for the C student. Who's just working it and figuring it out and taking gambles. And I don't know, but I'm going to work hard and figure it out, you know, and that's, that's that C student. Um, But I think we, those of us that were like that student in high school are, are later in life. Also the people who are willing to just like grind it out, figure it out and enjoy somewhat of that chaos Mm -hmm. and that, it's it to me to Brandon. and i've talked several times it's like a puzzle it's like the last couple of years it feels like we're just trying to put all the edge pieces together
0: mm-hmm.
1: like what's this thing going to kind of look like and then start trying to fill it in and you're attacking different areas right like of that puzzle of mm-hmm. whether it's a connection to a certain you know company or a supplier or you know all these different places and pieces and you just start trying to build that puzzle together you know that's exciting
0: adventure yeah. i mean when you get out of the truck in the morning to go hunting statistically your odds of being successful are next to nothing right like if you add up all the minutes you hunt it's you have to enjoy the fact that you're going to figure it out and i i totally i think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said i think about it all the time because when i start getting frustrated myself for not being the smartest person like from a book smart perspective mm-hmm. but I I value the fact that I will figure it out. I'm a problem solver, and I kind of like actually because I um I've worked with people that are so they're too smart they're too smart to where they're almost analytical. Yeah, they 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 just get paralyzed with analysis. Mm-hmm. I'm just dumb enough to think I can figure out almost anything, and I kind of right. like that about myself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, it's like that stuff
1: I showed you up on my board about planning our next move and stuff. And like you can do a bunch of planning, and then at a certain point, you just have to be like fuck it send it yeah like we're gonna just send it and like i don't know like our sticky notes say it looks like it'll work but like we're gonna figure it out mm-hmm. where you could also be looking at a computer screen with everything literally engineered to the exact shape the wires run into it The like you know you, you could try to just engineer the hell out of it but we i'm also we also know that like that's nice to have that plan, but reality isn't going to work that way. So like, Mm -hmm. I'd rather spend a little less time up front. Not that you don't want to plan at all, but like get a basic plan and then like trust also hire good people and trust that like our people will figure it out. We'll adapt. You know, I mean,
0: you're friends with obviously a bunch of people that came out of the military Mm -hmm. and I, I, I didn't, I didn't serve my country, but I also know quite a few people that came out of special forces specifically. And I feel like, Obviously, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I feel like, based on what I've learned, that these people are, they they go in with these plans that they worked on over and over and over. But they're also, the reason they are who they are is because our country knows that if we send these guys in with a plan that's most likely going to fall apart, they're going to figure it out, and they're going to get out of there alive Mm -hmm. and and be successful. Elite
1: problem solvers. Yes,
0: yes. And I feel like in business, you kind of got to approach it that way, too. It's like, yeah, we can build a plan. I mean, I spent years building plans. And most of them did not, I mean, the, 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 the core of the plan should be right. Like the fundamentals, like it should send you in the right direction, obviously. And the, it should set some guardrails, but for the most part, you're still getting out. You're still opening the door to go hunting on this adventure. Right. You have no idea every, every day in business, you're one phone call away from your world changing, right? right? For good or or, or bad, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of the excitement about yeah. it, you know, when
1: you. I'm interested in the mindset about, like, when you went down there, did it feel like you were like, I'm going to go join these guys. It's a total shot in the dark. Like, um, was it still, like, it had to have been, with only four, four or five people involved, it had to have been super, like, kind of faith, like, you're just having faith that maybe this is going to work out, maybe it won't, it'll be fun. But, like, there's something there, but there's no definitely no guarantees, like, and then at what point did you, do you remember a point where you're like, oh, we're on to something
0: like big? Yes, I do. Actually, I, just, I think about it all the time. Um, so when I said yes, it was a, that kind of fire and spirit. My dad always told me that, it, that you should, you can do anything you want in life. Like he just totally, I know it sounds cliche, but he literally told me that mm-hmm. 10,000 times when I was a kid. So I literally believe that. So like when I got that phone call, I'm like, fuck it. I told my girlfriend, what do we have to lose? Right. I had, I had a F one fifty that I bought from my dad and like not even enough stuff to fill up the back seat. Mm-hmm. Like I was still living with my parents, dude. I was 25 years old. Right. What the hell did I have to lose? Why yeah. not? Yeah. You know? So that it's was just my,
1: the attitude that all 25 year olds should have. Like you get an opportunity. I tell my kids all the time, who gives a shit? Send it. It doesn't matter. No. What's go the worst go thing? fail, whatever. Come home. Yeah. Figure out the next thing.
0: i I can always come home and that's what my, and they, my parents told me that you can always come home. Yeah. So I told my girlfriend, fuck it, let's do it. And she's like, fuck it, let's do it. And <laughs> we literally moved into a 200 square foot boathouse that Jonathan's uh, um, father-in-law had. Anyways, once I got down there and started, you can feel the magic when something's working. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, you've probably spent some time in Nashville. Uh, uh, no, I'm
1: actually going on Tuesday, but I haven't been down there yet.
0: Oh, okay. So when you go to those honky-tonks, you'll go to five or six of them in a night you'll see at least one act where you're like, holy shit, that, right. they're going to make it, yeah. right? And you can't, from a, uh, practically, you maybe can't tell the difference between them and the next five guys on this, on Broadway, but I'm in the music side too. When you see something that's special, mm-hmm. sometimes you can't describe it. Yeah. And you, that energy is just magnetic. And that's kind of what I felt when I got down there. I mean, it was pretty easy to tell. We've sold everything we sell out everything just like you guys are mm-hmm. right so the 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 data was there but it was also this magic and i remember calling my dad and going dad you need to invest in this company mm-hmm. this company is going to crush i'm telling you and oftentimes and i, I mentioned the music side because i'm i also write songs and stuff and I, I was like chris stapleton for example chris stapleton obviously blew up but a friend of mine who has a venue in bozeman called live from the divide mm-hmm. a couple years before chris blew up he had the opportunity to book Chris for 600 bucks yeah, and he didn't, he couldn't afford it. So he didn't do it. And so, and then two years later, you see what happened, but everybody in the industry knew Chris was going to blow up. Mm-hmm. And then he blew up. I, th- I feel like I knew that about Sitka, even though no one knew us yet. I knew 100% for sure that the magic was there. I trusted in Jason and Jonathan. They were both of them and brilliant in their own ways, um, which we can talk about which is a really important part because doing what they did or what you're doing is incredibly scary and lonely and cr- crazy and chaotic. And it takes the right personality and the right attitude. Um, but once I saw all those th- and the product that we had was so much better than anything that had ever been done in the industry that, that it was just no problem, dude, there was no competition. People need to realize that at the time it was 2007, there was no the only clothing in the hunting industry was what we always used to wear mm-hmm. flannel wool you know and it was fine we made it through we, we survived right uh, my grandpa survived right but if you went to rei and looked at patagonia or arcteryx or mountain hardware you're like damn this is nice shit right right so you go to i remember the first ata and shot show we did people are like what is this mm-hmm. this is actually comfortable and light and yeah. so just all those things added up. I'm like, there's no doubt. There's no doubt we're going to make it. Now, that does not mean that it was an easy path. Uh, no, was, I, I get it. Many train wrecks ahead. But um, but the that, feeling was there. When was that moment then? That was within a month of being there. Yeah. yeah that was that summer. That was summer of 2007. Yeah, I moved down there. June. I started June 1st, 2007, and I knew immediately.
1: And it's similar because I knew when it was just Brandon and I, and we were getting going and maybe by about the time of that next spring when I had hired Tristan, who's downstairs, but he was still in high school. He was still at Hellgate High School. Um, I was like, it just felt like this is going to happen. Like, I was sure of it. Like, it, it, there was something, like you say, that special feeling. What's interesting is, like, where we sit here today, just three years in, is it feels, I, I get the feeling of what you're saying because it's like, now we're at a place where it, like, okay, this is happening for sure, it's happening, whatever. But it's also like, man, there's no guarantees because even with all the momentum that you have, and I'm sure you remember that feeling, all the momentum you guys were having back then, there's that feeling of like, God, like at any moment, it feels like it could stop or or like one big major problem because like financially, you're not in a place to absorb a a multi-million dollar mistake, Mm -hmm. right? Or um, just whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, even like with where we're at here today, I can make all the arguments for why we're going to be X size down the road, but man, I can, and I have to avoid the rabbit hole of, I can also think of like all the reasons why could just fuck this shit up in about mm-hmm. a year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you will, you will you know, fuck some stuff up. I mean, mm-hmm. we should, I mean, we're humans and it, it's just life. Like, right. It, we fucked up so much, dude, our product line. And this is my opinion. Some of my ex Sitka, um, people might disagree with me but this is my opinion when we walked into shot show in 2008 with our so this would be our third round of clothing we had just hired new designers new fabrics all these things our product sucked 2008 sitco sucked Mm -hmm. i was embarrassed at there were zipper poles falling off threads coming out and it was a train wreck but i also knew the momentum we had was going to carry us through this moment right so and then then two years later we launched what was called the dutch oven which was a heated vest Mm -hmm. we thought i mean we were this was like the next this is like you know the the cyber truck this is and it was it got a lot of pr but guess what people started getting burned on their back a couple people anyway so we had to do a recall oh shit yeah which for a company of our size and we we didn't have financially we weren't totally figured out you know we were growing so fast and you know spending money all these things having a recall at that age is it can kill you um and i a hundred percent i i remember how stressful that was on jason and jonathan and our cfo at the time and obviously i'm like in my cave doing marketing and customer service and stuff so i didn't necessarily have to carry that stress as much right but still as an employee you 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 do um but we made it through we made it through i don't know a thousand a thousand things yeah you know it's just part of growing something that's never been done before by anybody that's ever existed is really hard but i think if you have that magic and the right people and um, the the problem solv- solving abilities that you you must have to get to this point you're going to get through those moments it's a different
1: model it's similar feel and stuff in certain ways. But then there's, you know, we did it different where, and we were able to because if you're making your own thing, you can kind of bootstrap it and you can kind of take your demand and just make what you think you can sell and, um, and take it a little bit slower in a certain way. Um, and it provides all its own challenges as well. Um, but the, that, that model, which most companies are of like, you've put in, you know, yeah. First of all, you have to sit around in a meeting and like on our whiteboard over here, you have to, you have to take a stab at like how many pairs of pants and shirts we think we're going to sell in the next year. And you have to argue all that out. And I I'm assuming all this and figure all this out. And then you have to, you have to put that order in mm-hmm. right to overseas or wherever you're having your, your things manufactured and then, and then sit and wait on that to come. And I can't imagine the stress of like leveraging, like if we are here today looking at next year, we sit around here talking about how much we have to manufacture next year, which in in another way it's similar because we have to buy all the steel for that with buy all the raw goods, right? Mm -hmm. And turn it into something where if we were sourcing, we would have to say, well, we think we can do X million dollars worth of stuff and then put an order in. And when it, by the time it comes in next year, most likely it's either going to be too much or too little never going to be perfect unless you're just lucky yeah um that stress of like leveraging everything spending all of your money putting all your money out there because that's generally like what we did with growing this is like you're putting almost all your money into like the next the next phase and then it's like you got to make it happen right Mm -hmm. and then you take that money you put it all into your next phase and so whether you're sourcing stuff or making it um i can't imagine that stress and that like calculating that and trying to figure out how you guys were going to do that. And especially back then, the stress that I'm sure, like you said, is probably more on Jonathan and mm-hmm. um, Jason at the time. Mm-hmm. You remember those conversations? I, oh yeah. Well, cause I was involved. Cause they're also looking at you like how much do you think we can sell? Yeah. We do that with Brandon. Like, yeah. what, do we we yeah. what do we think we can sell? Yeah. What do
0: we think we can make? Mm-hmm. How well, much? I mean, it was just four of us around the table. So, yeah. I mean, we were all involved in almost all the conversations and I I vividly remember all that. I mean, cause in the clothing business, if, if you're sourcing, which most, clothing companies are um you're you're planning well you're designing for two years out you're ordering at least six months out Mm -hmm. sometimes more than that so like if you're you might be writing million dollar checks for inventory six or eight months before you can sell any of it i mean you can you can dealers can pre-order it but they don't have to pay until most of them are on 30 60 day terms from the time they receive the product so you're not getting paid you're hanging out money for months months and if you're a startup, you're placing a big bet. You're like, yeah, we've never sold any of this before, but we think we can. Yeah. Like it's, and if it's your money, it's different. If you know, it was not my money. Right. right? But if you're the one writing that check and there was homes leveraged. Yeah. You know, they're big deal.
1: People's no. livelihoods. Me and Brandon are personally doing that right now yeah. on our next building. Like we're leveraging everything you got. Yeah. Like you're literally, it's push. You're pushing all the chips in. Yep. With everything you have.
0: And I can only imagine, even though you know that Montana Knife Company is crushing it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Deep inside, that stresses you out. Keeps you up at night. Oh, yeah. Motivates you. So it's not all bad, but it's like, it's real, man. Like, you look at your wife and your kids, you're like, hey, I'm putting all the chips in. Right. And dad's going to succeed. But that doesn't mean it's not scary as shit. Oh. And anybody who says it's not is full of shit or totally a sociopath. Right. It is. If you're a human being and you're doing what you're doing or, right. you know what any entrepreneur is doing that puts the chips in, it is scary as shit.
1: Yeah. And it's amazing because people are like, oh, you guys have made it like, <laughs> you're and it's just like, dude, I, we're still making knives in my yard. <laughs> like literally. It, totally. It, you know, like, what do you mean we've made it? Oh man. It, it's actually just getting harder and more stressful mm-hmm. because of the implications, like if I, we would have failed in that first year, I was couple, cutting a couple hundred blades at a time. Right. A few thousand dollars worth of material. Right. Like, that that wasn't when it was actually written. It was risky to quit my job, but I was a lineman. I could go get another lineman right. job. Um, that's like it's like it's funny. The more success you have, the more actual like you know chances you take, mm-hmm. and the more like pressure it becomes, and the more like irrecoverable, right? If like it all just fails and you it all to do that building, like they then they just come take everything, right? You have to sell everything to pay that. So it's it is it's stressful.
0: For In the music sure. industry, the hardest album is the second one. Like people think these musicians they're all rich and flying around on jets and shit not true yeah i know a lot of them and even when they get a record deal that's starting at zero mm-hmm. like whatever happened before that doesn't mean shit yep they better sell otherwise they're getting fired in a year that's
1: how we feel about you know 2024 going coming into it this year but like that's how we now feel like we could have the banner year biggest banner year ever 2025 we haven't done shit nope you're you're literally starting
0: over yep it's a new record and but it's crazy It's crazy to think about that, especially if you're like taking chances on products, because maybe you've had success with product ABC, but you're like, maybe we could do this product. And you don't know. I mean, I can tell you that at Sitka, we had a lot of hits, but I bet you we, if I added it up, we had more misses. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just want to like, not, not from a, excuse me, not from a revenue perspective, like you always plan to where you're like, you manage your risk. But from right. a strictly a, a product perspective, or maybe it's about half, half, but I was thinking on the way over here this morning, how many product failures we had there, like mm-hmm. that we thought we're going to, usually it was the coolest thing we thought was going to be so rad and then it would yeah. kind of sell. Okay. And then they discontinue. I mean, you can watch it from the outside and see what they, any company discontinues. That means it didn't sell. Right. Really. Right. Um, but I also remember how many products we, we designed and put a bunch of money into prototyping that we never launched. And it mm-hmm. was a lot. It was a lot now think about that if you're you know if you're the person that's putting money into that you spend i don't know like on the apparel side you might spend 50 hundred thousand dollars designing and prototyping something Mm -hmm. and then it's not good enough and then you just cancel it right that's crazy yeah and and as you get bigger montana knife or whoever those bets get bigger and bigger and bigger and that's why it becomes so stressful because yeah if you're making 200 blades you can screw up and get away with it yeah but if you're you're betting on like a two million however many million dollar launch right. and you screwed up and no one wants it right
1: it it sucks a little bit yeah
0: what
1: what, what drove the move to bozeman when did that happen
0: uh so in 2010 we uh, gore acquired sitka um and we just decided that having the company in napa just didn't make a lot of sense yeah. a there's a lot of hunters in Northern California, mm-hmm. but it just made more sense from a brand perspective to be in my, well, we went, we, we analyzed many cities, but Bozeman's where we landed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like this just authentic authenticity play, like, Hey, we need to be somewhere where there's just more of our people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, just also at the time, I mean, I know it sounds crazy to say now, but the time the cost of doing business, there was far cheaper yeah <laughs> it now caught California <laughs> yeah. but uh so that that played into it it I mean people that grew up in Bozeman are like when we moved there in 2012 they're like god you guys this place has changed so much you know but I lived there from 12 to 19 and a half and it's like now I go back I'm like dude even from 2012 oh. or 2019 it's just crazy it, yeah it's I went to college there in
1: 2000 99 2000 and yeah I can't even hardly i mean i know the main corridors but i mean where i was laying out in the field goose hunting w- behind what's costco was just fields and now it's just homes forever it's just insane it's
0: insane and the airport like, yeah dude what this airport's big now i remember when yeah. you could leave i could leave my house an hour before my flight right yeah no
1: you could get down and fly the plane yourself <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so you moved up from california yeah. to bozeman and- yeah they moved
0: uh we i think um several of us moved Um, did
1: that did that transition with gore then just give you guys the power to really like because i i I look at like even the move that we're trying to make now right and it's not that we're gonna have to sell to a company or bring money and we're gonna continue kind of doing it the way we're doing it but there is that possibility where we could just say hey we're gonna team up with x company and then they're gonna provide like the the revenue you know the, the the money to really just drive this thing like to a massive scale. And was that kind of
0: the conversation then? Uh it definitely wasn't not the conversation. Um they have Gore is a very powerful company from an innovation perspective. I mean Gore Techs Yeah all materials kinds of stuff. And they they have access to factories and technologies that are very difficult to get access to. And um the 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 team and the ethos at the time seemed to fit pretty well with ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we were being very successful. So they, in many ways allowed us to continue to do that. Sure. Um, so it just, it just made sense for, for a lot of reasons. Um, I chose to stay with them because at the time, well, I loved like Sitka was my entire identity. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm in this let's go. Like, um, and you know, the thought of trying to find another Sitka just wasn't in my mind at the time. So I, I stayed with them and it was great. Um, I worked for them for obviously whatever that was. Uh, but Jason wanted to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. So he, that's when he kind of branched off and Kuyu was born. Right. Yeah. Was that, that had to have been a a
1: really challenging time. I imagine, I mean, you know, the one of the two core guys leaving. Yeah,
0: it was, it was, it was tumultuous, tumultuous. Mm -hmm. Um, and, he was one of my best friends at the time Mm -hmm. and um so it was very difficult um relationship to manage because i mean stuff like this happens all the time what do they say 90 percent 95 percent of partnerships fail i can't remember what the stat is jamie look it up um but it's it's a bad and it failed the the partnership didn't work out he wanted to go do his own jason was very entrepreneurial jason is jason was not the personality that could work for a company like gore yeah like it's just not the way his brain was wired sure he didn't want to work for anybody when i first moved down there he told me that he's like fuck working for anybody right doing my own thing he was a bulldog so it, it just made more sense for him to go do that and at the time because i was still learning I still wasn't totally comfortable going out on my own. I needed, I, there was a lot more for me to learn. Right. Right. So it, it made more sense for me to go that way. Than that well,
1: way. and it made a lot of sense too. If you're, you know, even if your decision, even if your opportunity was like, hey, come with me and we're going to start this thing called KU, even if that was the, or you have, hey, we've got this thing that seems to be on a rocket ship and now we have Gore behind us. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that definitely is a, that's, that's a horse that I would definitely myself, Want to continue riding that horse, you know? Yeah, it
0: made a lot of sense. I mean, from my my wife and I's perspective, it's like, look, there were months when we don't know didn't know if we were going to get a paycheck, before, yeah. pre Pre the acquisition, and we're like, man, guaranteed paycheck, uh, a reservoir of investment, uh, yeah. you know, all kinds of opportunities to learn from. Because Gore is a pretty famous company for the culture and all these things. I mean, obviously, I don't agree with everything they do, but. Mm obviously a successful company there's something i can learn from yeah and uh i'm glad i did i don't regret it. jason tried to hire me a couple times mm-hmm. um in passing and and um i mean i tried i maintained my my relationship with jason as much as i could we had some falling outs and stuff but um and we competed well and he went on to
1: make a um you know grow a, an awesome brand oh my gosh well, you know and
0: it was probably
1: good for uh the industry to have that come that competition it and, kicked us in the pants right, that's for sure right. i mean
0: i was at that time when jason really got going i was running our big game division from a marketing perspective mm-hmm. you know cuz at that time we'd now been in waterfowl and whitetail and all that stuff and uh the competition kept me up at night that's for sure i mean we it was yeah. it was fierce it was fierce it was it, i'm i'm glad i'm not doing that anymore with anybody because right. it was not not a healthy level of competition there was some pretty gross stuff too right but um it definitely kept us on our toes and um that was jason was great at that jason moved fast and you know left bodies along the way he's just he just saw his vision and ran towards it and that's one of the things i appreciated and i learned from him he he was he was so confident in himself right and his um i remember the first flight to ata i did with him he was telling me about he's like why can't we do tents why can't we do sleeping bags why can't we do all this shit no one's gonna tell me what i can do i'm just gonna do it Mm -hmm. and uh i'm like wow this guy is like confident yeah this is pretty cool like we can do all that stuff we have permission yeah fuck yeah we can do it yeah and jonathan was the same way i mean i learned so much from both of them Mm -hmm. um and i got to work because it was such a small company i got to grow up and work in every function of the company and work myself to where i was you know one of the faces of the company sure and um it was one of the greatest blessings of my life definitely the greatest blessing in my professional career because like you said i was a c student right and i needed that i needed somewhere to like cultivate my passion of hunting but also my entrepreneurial spirit yeah and then when i left that i i was able to start my own companies and do my own things and i know how to do it now not that it's guaranteed anywhere right. Um, you know how that is, but yeah. you have the tools to succeed. Mm-hmm. It's still on you to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to be still today, just
1: looking at that brand, super proud of what, like knowing that, you know, you were a huge part of getting that brand, especially on the marketing side. Like I always say, and that's where I give Brandon, you know, a ton of credit. And I, I give myself credit for knowing that I needed help like from day one. Right. Cause like I was a custom maker for, for years and like, you have to market yourself somehow as a custom knife maker or whatever any business needs to market themselves somehow um, but I knew when I started this that you know to grow what I had envisioned which is this that I needed expertise like I think that's where like starting a business later in life you're more willing to admit what you don't know versus like ah, i figure figured out I know I, I can figure that out well no that marketing side is an entire profession in its own right like how are you supposed to be a really good knife maker and figure out manufacturing, but also become an expert in marketing. Right. And, um, that's where like knowing that I needed that and then finding that in brand. And that was a lot of, definitely a lot of luck and through a couple connections, um, or one connection really with Sornex in finding Brandon, but then also being willing to relinquish that control and say like
0: market the shit out of it, man, you know, um, it, he's doing, I, I told him he's, You guys are doing such an—it's such an inspiration, in my opinion, the best brand to come out in the last few years in terms of just everything. But the thing about marketing is, marketing is great, and it's like the difference between a marketer and a great product person is like a plumber and electrician. It's totally different. It's, It's, but you first have to have product. Yeah, you have to have a product that is quality and remarkable that people want to talk about and spread the word about if you don't have that you can hire the greatest marketer in the world it ain't going to work
1: and that's and that's actually and i lost track where i was going but that's what i was getting at like i knew back then you could have the greatest product it it works both ways you have the greatest product and suck at selling it and no one ever knows about it Mm -hmm. and you do a really crappy job and it's like it might be the greatest thing ever you can't market it and to your point you can have the greatest marketing ever and, you know, we, we, we say we, we have more people that have two or more knives of ours than one, which means they got one. And like Brandon said, I'll sell the first knife, but the knife and and the quality and everything else has to sell the rest of them. Right. Like the, once they get that mm-hmm. first pair of Sika pants, mm-hmm. do they want the rain gear? Do they want the base layer? Do they mm-hmm. want the mid layer? Right. Like that first pair of pants is going to sell, the rest of it, yes, you know, and so your job as marketing is to get that first sale. But then that product's going to need to sell, yes, more of it. You know, I've always
0: said I don't want to work for a company where I have to sell anything. Mm-hmm. Like the product should sell. Will Primos told me one time uh, that he he would determine whether a product was um, marketable enough, marketable or not. He'd go st- stand at the rack at Cabela's or Bass Pro and listen to what people. If people had to ask questions about something he would start to doubt the product. <clears throat> sure. Like that doesn't always work, but the product should spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Like, and then marketing is gasoline. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's just marketing is really just, it's storytelling. It's mm-hmm. like pulling. He probably took the, what was already in your head and polished a story out of it and just provided it to yeah. the poll. It's not. Selling well, and that's anything. what
1: he said early, early on when I was hiring him, before we were partners you know once he like heard my whole story was like dude like i've been selling pants and shirts and whatever that Mm -hmm. don't even have a story like we had to create a story he's like you have a story like all i have to do is just tell it yeah um you you know uh, so it's gold yeah so it really provided a a a place to do that storytelling and Mm -hmm. then yeah you had some branding some marketing on and good product it works out and people
0: can sniff out when there's not a story it's manufactured Mm -hmm. right they're like "Mm." but they look at your story just as i did and you're like wow that's cool Mm -hmm. that's cool that's a real story and then the product's good yeah and then the brand's really cool you want to wear it i mean i was wearing your sweat i wear your sweatshirt three times a week that's awesome and i I don't you know it's like it's just it doesn't happen all the time but i felt like we had that at sitka too it's like the product's great spread Uh, spreads like wildfire dude you
1: had people wearing high-end camo to football games yep like and that i always said that about sick and that's where sicka was an inspiration was on the marketing side yet yeah, product can be great it was a fashion statement mm-hmm. if you saw that sicka logo at a fat at a football game like that dude wants you to know he's wearing that piece of mm-hmm. gear and and we all know that gear, piece of gear is expensive it's really high quality like you tend to make some assumptions about that guy, like oh he likes good gear, mm-hmm. you know, um, he has a, a higher expectation for what he puts on, yes. and, and also it's it's same way with you know, like, people wearing, you know, with women wearing certain brand things, and whatnot. Also, they want you to know that they're carrying a Gucci handbag, of course, right? So um, that was what was funny. It's like they didn't need high performance camo gear to go to the football game on Friday night and stand no. out there when it was sixty degrees. Mm-hmm they they wanted to wear that mm-hmm. and that sick gear became like um it was it, you, you you know and that's on your side that branding and that marketing side yeah. was um because then it was it was i remember this early with like black rifle you'd be walking around you'd see someone else with a black rifle hat on and it was early enough it was like oh that dude's like me like yes like i can make a judgment about that guy just by the hat pretty I easily yeah and i i've brandon and i talked about that from day one because I, I really watched a lot of what black rifle did <clears throat> if you see someone with an mkc hat on i want it to mean something mm. you can know like that guy there's some things you can kind of assume about that person mm-hmm. and we could probably be at a party and go have a chat in the corner and get along great and find that we have a lot of commonalities right mm-hmm. and with sick gear i felt it was kind of similar too it was like oh that guy's a serious hunter
0: mm-hmm.
1: like he's not he's not riding around the truck and shooting a deer out the window one day you're like that that dude probably hikes in somewhere yes sets so a tent. you know like he's hardcore so yeah, yeah it,
0: it was it was cool the way you guys did that well <laughs> it was such it was thousands and thousands of hours of you know a lot of it a lot of the mastermind behind the brand um originated in jonathan hart's brain jonathan mm-hmm. hart is he's not well known in the hunting industry he doesn't hunt a lot um And, but he is such a brilliant marketer. And I just, I remember he gave me a whole stack of books because what happened was, is I was, at first I let customer service, then I led customer service. And then I went into, I I launched our guide program there. I spent like a year and a half on that. And then I was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's where are you you most interested? I said, absolutely marketing. I'm creative. I like marketing. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan's like, all right, come work with me. So I shattered under him. And then there came a day where, he needed to go to the product side and he goes, I need you to be the marketing director. And I was like, so fucking nervous. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you're giving me your baby. Yeah.
1: And 100%. that's a big deal.
0: Oh yeah. I like, I couldn't sleep that night. And I remember going back to him and saying like, I'll do it. Like, obviously like this is a great opportunity for me, but I need to know that you trust me and that I need your mentorship. Like I need you to like, I'm not just like going off into the world here. Right. You know? So, um, but over time I got good at it too like when you when you mentor mentor around someone that's really amazing at something mm-hmm. and that's all you do day and night 24/7 like I, that's basically what I did you get really good at it too right and i mean it's like the 10,000 hour rule and um and then you attract more people like that because right um like you told me this morning when we were walking around i mean you and i are both honest i like I really do try to surround myself with people that are way better at things than I am. Yep. You know, and, and I'm humble enough and honest with my stuff, my myself enough to know what I should and should not be doing. Mm -hmm. And when I was at Sitka, I would do, I mean, we had great agencies. We had great partners, great employees, and there was things I was really good at that I was kind of nitpicky about. But then there was things I'm like, look, take this amazing thing. That's not polished and here polisher, polish it just like a knife, right? goes through these different stations um, but again, to the core of it, Sitka had an amazing story yep. and a great product. And all I got to do is tell it. Yep. I don't got to make anything up. I just, and then, yep. I, oh, by the way, I get to go profile all these amazing hunters and become friends with them and take pictures of the things that God created, mm-hmm. like that are amazing in the first place. Like it's yep. not hard to create amazing content in nature. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. Um, yeah. it's been done a lot now, but at the time it had never been seen before.
1: Yeah. And you're right. It's like, I I get, you know, too much credit with our company of like, I'm the knife maker. Right. But probably my biggest skill and probably my most important thing. And what I am actually good at is, is finding good people. Right. And putting those people where, you know, where we have Dylan or Jacob or, you know, Henry doing what he's doing at the video side and, you know, Brandon and we, you know, Andrew on the, you know, the operation side, it's like, finding people and then trusting them and empowering them to like, okay, you're, you're really good at this, do that thing and like, stay out of their way, you know? And that's the, that's the thing of like knowing what you're not good at. Um, but, but where I, what I am good at is finding people that are good at that thing.
0: <laughs> you know, someone told me one time <clears throat> that you should, uh, do a job where you don't have to be there yeah (laughs) find a career where you don't have to be there hire people to do it yeah i I don't think there's a way to scale a company at least without having a toxic culture unless you do that Mm -hmm. if you want to have like a pretty toxic resentful culture micromanage the shit out of everybody yeah you know no one wants to work at least they may work for you because they need a paycheck right but it's it's tough to do that you have to operate like you do it's like dude i'm i know what i'm good at well and
1: i want people that believe in this idea i want people that like see the vision believe in it mm. and because then they'll they'll understand and that's why we share a lot in meetings way more than we probably even should but i share a ton because i want our employees to actually understand all the way down to the very bottom like you know or all the way to the top what's going on behind the scenes what are the stresses what are we working on how are we doing it what all these things because when they're downstairs putting screws and knives they understand the mission and why mm-hmm. of like okay I'm doing this because like this is this is heading somewhere you know um, they feel and, like they And they, they, they also the understand yeah they also understand that like you that they can start in the warehouse and someday they might be the marketing director or mm-hmm. they could you know there is this is a company with the growth potential to level up through it you know you're not going to
0: necessarily put screws and knives forever um scared the shit out of me. But one time I was, I used to commute with Jason. I'd ride in his Jeep and we're, we just got Starbucks and he said, what'd you think about being CEO someday of Sitka? And dude, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know how to be like, I didn't even own a house yet. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm like, dude, I can't even fathom that. But the, and I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't true. I mean, I knew that it wasn't going to be true probably, but just the, the end, like the thought of the, like that that made me even have more skin in the game. Like mm-hmm. this this guy believes in me. This sure. guy believes in me, and I feel like when you when you don't want to lie to people, obviously, but when people feel like they can move up, which is how you should. I mean, the most successful hires that I've ever seen or had either came up within the company, mm-hmm. started from scrubbing toilets and did whatever, or they just naturally happened right you meet somebody you're like oh my gosh this is a cool person they have the skill that i'm looking for the worst hires that were ever made in in my opinion are the ones where you're like scouring resumes on the internet yeah and you're like reading one fucking sheet of paper about somebody that could have totally lied on it right and spending a half hour with them oh yeah i'd like to get married to them at my company yeah even though i might have to fire them i agree a thousand percent I hate that yeah i I, I really try to steer clear of it. it it's it's a necessity sometimes it's just it's really hard to do to f- find enough people to keep going but the worst hires I've ever made were like that so what what
1: what made you leave sick and where where'd you go after that
0: um I was done there man i i I had run my course like mm-hmm. I enjoy the first few stages of companies. Um, i don't enjoy once they're too polished Mm -hmm. and it's just i i don't i'm not a corporate guy i don't care about corporate ladders i -hmm. don't care about title i don't want to be like that the real first chip to fall was i asked because i was trying to figure out do i want to be here for the rest of my life and i asked one of my coworkers who had been um, with gore for a long time and he said uh i said hey how do i how do i know what i want to do like what what should i aspire to be you know mm-hmm. and he goes i don't know look around the company and try to find the people that you want to be like so i spent a while looking around and i'm like i don't really want to be like any of those people no offense to them right but that's just not how i am right i'm just it doesn't fit my personality i can't just come to a desk every day and punch a clock and be a number on a spreadsheet mm-hmm. for lack of better terms mm-hmm. so that was the first chip and then just realizing and again being honest with myself that like there comes a time in every company and there'll come a time in this company
1: Mm -hmm.
0: where you hand the baton off Mm -hmm. and it's okay it's okay there's there's everything changes hunting spots change jobs change relationships change Mm -hmm. your career is no different like i'd done 11 years there and i just felt like i was done i i poured my energy into it when i was when i was and then the family thing that I already mentioned earlier, that yeah, was the right. biggest thing we needed to move back and have our kids close. But I remember when I was leaving the, the CEO was like, what, why are you leaving? And I'm like, because you're going to hire somebody better than me. And he's like, why would you ever say that? I'm like, because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I'm stupid enough to think that I'm the smartest marketing guy for the next phase of what this company needs. Mm-hmm. This is, this is going to get way bigger than anything I've dealt with. Mm hmm. I'm a startup guy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I got you. me and, you know, a a small group of people got you here. Right. And I'm proud of that. And I don't owe you anything and you don't owe me anything, Mm -hmm. but go find somebody better. Right. You know, he'd never heard that before. I don't think. Yeah. And people still look at me sideways. Like, why would you ever say that about yourself? Come on, dude. Like we're, we're all replaceable.
1: Well, in the way that you, the way that you market and grow a company, you know from zero to a hundred million is a hell of a lot different from a hundred million to a billion yes it just becomes an entirely different model and
0: yeah and i'm this i'm a scrappy marketer Mm -hmm. i like the gorilla stuff i like like i don't really enjoy when stuff gets too polished and too planned Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah uh it's a different person so i always describe it as like there's builders and there's polishers like Mm the people that like really scale a company are the ones that come in and the plane's flying, right? Mm -hmm. They turn the dials to get, like they just find these efficiencies and they polish everything and really, and that's when the company goes. small percentages. Yes. And that's when the company goes from whatever, you know, if you're a hundred million, you go to 200 million, 300 million. Mm -hmm. I don't really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. mostly because i'm not really a detail person mm-hmm. i like the big macro changes right and like just scrapping oh cool let's do this let's do this. i mean dude we made decisions around pizzas and beers for years yeah. like i was right. just texting with somebody i used to work at sitka with and he's like do you remember when we built that company and there was five of us or ten of yeah. us you know i'm like yeah that was fun
1: yeah and and that's how i feel like that's how brandon is as far as like you know that scrappy marketing um not not the kind of marketing where it's like you're going to give an agency a budget of $2 million and then just say, you know, whatever, you know, like let us know how it goes. Right. Mm -hmm. It's we, we, and we are in the big on the relationship side and, you know, trying to dig in and do different things. And like you say, and also big, pick up big swaths of people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're still, it's funny as well as everybody thinks that we've done, go to a hunting show in the South and ask if they've ever heard of us. Probably most people haven't, No, which I love we, we love that. Like when we're at shows, like, Hey, have you ever heard of us? No. Good. Cause mm-hmm. that means we still have a ton of work to do. We mm-hmm. can still pick up swaths of people. Yeah. We're not like, I, I look at Sika. Now you could say Sika, Yeti, any, any name, big name brand, right? Go find somebody that's never heard of Yeti. Right. Or go find someone in the hunt industry has never heard of Sika. Um, so that, te- that means to me is just a guy that doesn't know much about marketing. Like, God, how do you move the needle? right like it's easy for us to move the needle um it's easy for us to you know go on one podcast and expose ourselves to a thousand new people mm-hmm. that have never heard of us right so we find this time like super super exciting and that's part of why like we're doing every tac event this year i don't know if we're going to make any money on it or not probably lose some money potentially but the point is is we can go to 12 or 13 new venues and meet people for 3 days a piece that most probably have never heard of us, mm-hmm. you know, out in Vermont, right? Like, you know, and down in Georgia and wherever. Because mm-hmm. we've largely been doing events more in the west part of the country just because that's where we live, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to take the trailer and go to Salt Lake and come back, mm-hmm. or Bozeman and come back. Um, so, you know, we're a national brand. Most of our business obviously is out of the state of Montana, but like we haven't gone and put ourselves in front of those people um so like this is the fun part of like what can we do next to pick up a thousand new eyeballs Mm -hmm. a thousand new eyeballs right dude
0: what you guys have done is so incredible like congratulations i appreciate it i've been watching obviously from afar and i told i told brandon Mm right i told him not this year but last year at sheep show like how stoked i am for it i I love seeing brands come up black rifle coffee Mm -hmm. i remember the early days of yeti I i remember like um obviously I've been blessed to know a lot of these companies that flirt. It's just so fun to see because I know how much struggle goes into it and how much stress it is. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's a beautiful thing when it comes together. Um, and you guys have done an outstanding job. And I, I, I think the story is, is so needed too right now. Like you're American made and all that stuff. Right. Um, it's just, it's really remarkable and inspiring. So I want no. to tell you on, on air about yeah, that. I appreciate
1: that. Yeah. So when you, when you went back to Oregon, uh, what did you do? And you're such an interesting guy because you're into playing music and you have the podcast and then you've, you're in other businesses and I guess in real estate. and like uh, I find it interesting
0: because you're in lots of mm-hmm. things. So when I left Sitka, I decided I never wanted to do one thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left Sitka, I had a huge crash mentally. I was suicidal. And part of the reason for that is because it was an identity crisis for me. I okay. built my entire life around it. Yeah. And I felt I, I could have been a better dad and a better husband. But, like, that's what it took to build it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, it was like we were all bleeding orange for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you leave something like that, you're like, what the? F- who is David Brinker, not the marketing director at Sitka Gear? Right. You know, who are my real friends? What do I do?
1: What, what, and I've talked about that a little bit, like with Sloan. When Sloan was the community marketing guy yeah. at, at Yeti, like, all of a sudden you leave Yeti. Like, you get a lot less phone calls. Oh, yeah. People don't need anything from me anymore.
0: anymore. Nope. Yeah. And I controlled the wallet for a long time at Sitka. Right. You know, and, and, uh, so, um, when I left, I decided that wasn't fun because it took me about a year to get through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, that wasn't a fun mental How'd, how'd you get through it? Uh, some therapy. Mm-hmm. Some, um, I had to quit drinking. I had to, um, Spent a lot of time around my family, dude. It was hard. It probably took more like a couple of years to get through it. Mm-hmm. It was really bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never want to experience that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a lot of work. I've, I've done like full podcasts on what I did. I don't know what the solution is because actually, people from the industry of like multiple people over the course of the last few years call me with the same problem. Mm-hmm. I just left whatever. That was my entire being. I have no fucking idea what I'm going to do with my life now. Right. I don't know who my friends are. It's a real problem mm-hmm. because us Americans get pretty deep in our profession, mm-hmm. um, which is good, but also it can verge on unhealthy. Right. Like, yeah. I'm probably there. Yeah. But you. But you <laughs> but have, you to, have be, to be. You do. Yeah. There's. There's not really a way around it in your position.
1: Right yeah it is mine I mean, but you're con like- dude you're
0: conscious of it you told me this morning the reason i gotta do this podcast at seven is because i gotta go to a basketball game for my kids right keep that right like keep that because mm-hmm. there was many moments of my kids childhood that i missed mm-hmm. because i had to jump on a plane and do this or that mm-hmm. and i'm not blaming on anybody besides myself like i i always felt like because i wasn't the smartest person in the room i had to work harder than the next person over yeah i get that so i kind of overdid it mm-hmm. and it, it was just a huge crash so anyways To answer your question.
1: I think that's that C student
0: mentality. Yeah. It's like, I need to do more. Right. And I used to get, um, my like leaders would be like, dude, you over, you're overdoing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Settle down. I'm like, but I got to, I got to overcompensate because I know I'm not smarter than Mm -hmm. you, you know? But when I left, I'm like, okay, fuck. But I knew my dad had a successful business in Oregon and I always wanted to work with him. I always thought it'd be cool to work with your dad. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know how to create a brand. My little brother and I spent, a few months scheming on this and talking about it. I'm like, I know how to create a brand. Dad does something cool. He's never marketed anything. I love being outside. I love timberland. I love ranches. I love hunting. Mm -hmm. Let's just, let's start a real, like a land company. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so actually when I moved back, so I sold my house in Bozeman, our house in Bozeman. We moved into a tiny rental. I got my real estate license after a few months and I went to work for Windermere. Okay. It's just an average real estate company. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is right in the pits of, oh my God, what the hell did I just do? Right. And I left one of the world leading companies and now I'm at Windermere. Yeah. And, and, uh, but in my mind, I knew my five and 10 year plan of financial freedom, building a legacy, owning my own shit. Mm-hmm. Um, not working for anybody, not doing one thing. So, anyways, I, Started my, my real estate company, made out Westland Company. I built a brand around what my dad already did. I, I learned the trade. I spent every day riding in the truck with him. We were outside. We were selling ranches and timberland, and it's I actually love it, dude. It's like yeah. my baby. Plus, it's my dad's legacy. Like yeah. it, it means so much to me. Mm-hmm. It's and then I decided I started to miss the hunting industry. So I'm like, well, I better consult a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. So I started consulting startups. And then I met Bryce at peaks when he was start just selling trekking poles out of his garage. And I became a, a, a partner in that. I really believed in the vision and stuff and started building that and growing that. And then I've been writing songs since I was like 25. I minored in music. So mm-hmm. um, it's always been just something I did. I never wanted to do it for a living. Cause I saw how I, I just, I saw that side and I just didn't, right. didn't make any sense to me. So, right. I guess to answer your question, a lot of things, yeah but that's the way i wanted to design it now not to say that that doesn't create major problems right i I constantly have to juggle time right but i have i've diversified my professional life almost like one should diversify their finances right like Mm -hmm. i know that if one thing sinks like Mm -hmm. something bad happens I have other stuff to fall back on. Right. And it's also keeps it exciting every day when I wake up. It's like, okay, I got to do a podcast this morning. Then I'm going to go work on made out Westland company. And then I'm going to spend three hours on peaks. And then I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. And maybe I'm going to start something different today. I never know. right? But it excites me. um, And we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I'm probably gonna have to make some decisions. Tell me about peaks. Uh, Yeah. So it's like, um, it's like uh, equipment. So there's tons of apparel, Mm-hmm. There's some equipment here and there, but one of the holes we saw in the industry was who's focused on the equipment side? Who's mm-hmm. focused on actually making the backcountry experience more comfortable outside of apparel and backpacks? Yep. There's companies that sell tents and sleeping bags and all these things, but there's no one that really focuses dead center on that. Right. So we really have no interest right now in apparel or anything like that. We're mm-hmm. focused solely on the on the campsite and making keeping people back there longer. The, the, the problem, as you know, when you get in the back country, it's miserable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we love it. Right. That doesn't mean it's not... Nit- well, it's why a lot of people don't
1: stay back as long as they intend to when they go.
0: Yeah. And they come home and they they, they want a cheeseburger and a beer. Mm-hmm. But if you stay out longer, it ups your chances of success. Mm-hmm. And we, per- we believe that there's been this huge emphasis on cutting ounces and all these things without enough of an en- emphasis on, hey, can we balance weight comfort and durability and kind of meet in the middle to where you actually do have a few luxuries back there well
1: comfort is a bigger thing than i think a lot of hard-ass dudes want to admit like like and the comfort piece and i've heard you know even like aaron snyder talk about this like the comfort thing especially the older you get Mm
0: -hmm. the
1: comfort thing you know when you're 42 and you know i've had a back surgery you sleep on the ground or you sleep wrong or whatever like that can end the hunt right so like i would rather carry a little more weight and be sure whether it's a sleeping pad or a dry tent or whatever um the comfort thing is actually i think not talked about enough
0: no it's absolutely not talked about enough you'll have guys that cut their toothbrush in half but then they'll wear their like they have all the nicest sitka gear Yeah, you know like they they obviously like comfort otherwise they wouldn't be wearing that
1: i've said that about knives it's like you have all this thousands of dollars in sick of gear and long range rifle and all this stuff. And then you're, you know, you're taking out a $19 replaceable blade Chinese knife, like spend a little bit of money on that last yeah. piece of gear. And, and I think the same thing can be said for like a tent or trekking poles or something like that. You spend all this money everywhere else. And then you take like, that's your shelter, man. You know?
0: Yeah. It's like pretty important. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, and if you really pay attention, like there's this tough guy thing in the industry, but like when Sitka came out, it was the same thing. Oh, oh goddamn, Grandpa made it through with a red flannel jacket. Right. Of course he did. Yeah. hundred and right. Levi's. 100, yep. Yep. I wore my cowboy boots. I'm fine. Trekking poles. I just use a damn stick. You yeah. pussies, you know? And it's like, okay, dude. But like you watch and pay attention to the people that are actually doing these things. Mm-hmm my good friend ryan lampers he i i i I spent time in camp with him and i'll be like hey ryan how much do you suffer he'd be like i don't suffer at all i'm great i can stay back here 25 days Mm -hmm. i'm like what do you mean like what he's like my system is so fucking dialed Mm -hmm. i like i'm not uncomfortable i know people like to pretend like oh you just gotta tough it out he's like i'm not uncomfortable at all right i've figured out a way to do it both i have it's not so heavy it's a million pounds.'" But it's right. also, I have some creatures of comfort. It's like, a
1: little like the seasick thing. How much do you want to go fish if you're sick and miserable the whole time, right? Yeah. You don't, you just find something else to do. So if you want to go be in the backcountry for 10 days, but you're, you're miserable for all 10 of it, how many times are you can do that before you don't want to go back right. to
0: anymore? And I think that's why the hot tents are kind of blowing up right now. Like we can't even keep teepees in stock. Mm-hmm. The moment you take a hot tent out October on, you'll never go in the woods without a stove again mm-hmm. like it's just so great yeah. um but yeah so we're just like hey and i've always kind of had this in my brain like i felt i've i've felt that for a long time but finally i have a company that i can work with and be a partner in that where we can focus on that like for me that one of my creatures of comfort i have to have a damn good pillow in the backcountry if i don't have a pillow like a lot of people oh, i'll use my puffy jacket i can't do that no. i sleep like shit
1: i quit the last couple of years of take a little pillow i can blow up like i gotta have a pillow (laughs) yeah dude so there again the back and the neck issues it's a thing
0: yeah dude it it's already hard enough like hunting is hard enough from the truck right you go back six miles it's hard dude like it's you gotta have some things to keep you there like Mm -hmm. it's a lonely hard cold place Mm -hmm. so you know right now we're trekking poles you know uh sleeping bag tent headlamp Etc. Etc. You'll see next week at the expo, mm-hmm. we have a f- fourteen hundred square foot booth, and half of our or third of our booth is stuff we're coming out with in the next eighteen months, and you'll see kind of where we're going. But oh, cool! Um, it's a really exciting. I'm loving it. It reminds yeah. me of the old days of Sitka, and and um, I'm I'm really proud of it. So that that's what I did, man. I I just I kind of wanted to build my own things, and, mm-hmm. and you know, not necessarily literally but some of them are literally mine, but also partner with people that, but never like be siloed just, just because I, yeah, I don't know that I have the um, emotional energy to do that Mm -hmm. again. And my friend group shrunk, not as much as I thought it would, but it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. My, my great friends I kept some people. I just, Mm -hmm. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know who my best friends are now at this point in my life? people my two best friends from high school really I rekindled my relationships with my friendships from high school and it's mm-hmm. great fantastic obviously i have my industry friends and right. stuff like that but right the people that i talk to every day yeah i don't know as you get older man you value real shit right you know
1: right no i agree well uh you've also got the podcast the Alt 2 podcast i do um what why do you do that what made you start that
0: um because I felt I had a little bit of a responsibility to document some conversations with all these cool people I was meeting. When, yeah. I, when you work for a brand like Sitka or you with Montana, I'm sure I, I'd be shocked if you're not like, dude, I get to meet the coolest people. Oh, all the time. Yeah. I mean,
1: five years ago, I was out hunting, wearing Sitka gear, listening to podcasts. I mean, I was just, I was a lineman and just yeah. a hunter, just regular average dude, like um, seeing photos, you know, that's you know, whoever, Stephen Drake's taken or Mm -hmm. whatever videos are on whoever's platforms and Mm -hmm. just a fan and a dude wearing Sika gear out hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is weird because like three years later, you find yourself meeting all these people and you have all these cell phone numbers. And for me, the podcast is a way to share, you know, like the marketing due to Sika, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I was wearing, I was buying Sika gear at that time. Mm -hmm. I was wearing your guys' stuff. Um, I wouldn't have thought then five years later, I'd be interviewing that guy that built that brand on my podcast. So like, or even get to know him or meet him. So like you could have just come by the shop and I could have met you, but I feel like this is a way to share my conversation with you with my buddies that are still linemen mm-hmm. or Absolutely. just the average dude that, you know, is out
0: working, you know, it, it exactly the same for me. So like, you know, I'm getting to meet people like Zach Brown and Joe Rogan and all these people. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude. And then I go back to my, my normal life and people are like, you met who? Right. Like I go to my jujitsu class and some people are like, dude, I saw you were with so-and-so they're like, Oh my God. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, dude, I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. You know, I don't know why I just, I stumbled into this profession. It's, it's all weird, you right. know, but I think it would be a disservice for me not to at least for myself and my kids Mm -hmm. to document these conversations with all these really interesting people I can learn stuff from. That's really the reason I did it. I don't need like I have no desire to be like a a famous podcaster. That's not like the older I get, the less I want to be known, not the more I want to be known. Right. But. I get a lot of enjoyment around having those conversations. And I do think there's a lot of wisdom that comes from them, yep. from these guests. And I learn along the way too. And I, that's what I was going to say. Where, where I'm at in my stage of of my company, like,
1: is there something I can learn from the dude that helped build you know, Sika? Mm-hmm. 100%. And all these other conversations I have, like if there's a tiny nugget here or there that I can pick up, or maybe that leads to a connection a year from now where mm-hmm. I call you up and I'm like, hey, I know you worked with so-and-so, and I need, I have a question for that yeah. guy, right? So, like, it's networking, and it's learning. The learning thing, I mean, you asked, like, downstairs, like, I, you know, I didn't do any of this stuff. So, like, it's all learning, right? And so, I still look at these as opportunities to learn a ton. I mean, you you nailed it, 100%. Yeah.
0: Almost everyone I get off of, I'm like, that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the other day, I had Will Primos on for the second time, and every time I talked to that guy, I mean, how how old are you 42 so we're the same Mm -hmm. when we were growing up primos was like the marketing machine right and i know people like to pretend that like it's like old school whatever that guy is brilliant yeah that company they built is absolutely brilliant and so i get off those podcasts i'm like i can't believe if you would have told my you know 17 year old self that I could sit down and have a conversation with Will Primos and have Will Primos sending me Christmas cards with handwritten notes to my kids. Right. I I would have told you you're insane. Right. 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 Um, If you would have told me that I got to go to UFC with Joe Rogan, Mm -hmm. which I did Mm -hmm. and him and cam, Mm -hmm. I would have told you you were insane or go backstage. All these cool opportunities happen. Then you're like, what am I going to do with it? I I got to see this, but like I want to share these conversations and we were talking today. Someday I hope my kids and my grandkids so I do one pot I try to do one podcast a week, just solo, and it's like a journal. I'm pretty mm-hmm. open about everything. Like this week, I just did twelve months alcohol free. I did. I just kind of went over what I learned, way it felt, blah blah blah. I try to do those one so I can process things. Two, someday I hope my kids can go listen to them and maybe learn some more about my life that yep. may help them or um, down the road.
1: Even like you said, some of your struggles you've had. It's yep. like it's hard to sit down with at what age you sit down are they 17 are they 15 are they 26 and you go let me tell you all about all my struggles right like it's hard like you said it's hard to have real conversations Mm -hmm. um but at a certain point also they have to be they might not they might not be ready to learn and hear all that stuff till they're 42 right right where they might start like digging in like they've gotten to an age where we are and then maybe they are more interested Mm -hmm. in like I want to go back and listen to some of that stuff. and like, what was my dad all about? Or who knows? Like you get hit by a truck tomorrow, right? Yeah. You're gone early and they have a chance later on to be like, I want to go back and learn more about my dad. Yeah. I don't remember those years as well. Or, you know, so like, I I think it's so cool what we have today with between video and podcasts and stuff Mm -hmm. to be able to have, um, I just, I, I, I look and like, God, dang, if I could have all that of, you know, my dad or grandpa or great grandpa growing up. How valuable would that be to you?
0: you know yeah. I've, I've often thought if i was you know hopefully it never happens but let's say i was diagnosed with something bad mm. i would sit down and record a bunch of podcasts for my kids and be like hey right wait a few years but right. listen to these someday and this is kind of what i thought about the world this right. is the things i believe this is the things that i think might help you later on you know yeah it's kind and of it's
1: probably something you should do anyway in case i mean be hit by a truck tomorrow true yeah i like, have thought about that it's like it's not a bad idea i haven't thought of doing that that's um you know like
0: just put them in the safe, yep. you know? Yep. Just, Hey, if anything ever happens to me, listen to these. This is right. what, this is what your dad believes. Cause it's hard to get these journals I've been doing, dude. It's like, you can basically cover one topic at a time. Like mm-hmm. I talked about alcohol this week. It might've been whatever that week it might just be a hunting pot, whatever. But I feel like, uh, man, if I could do like, I, you and I talked, we both had our dads on, right? I love my dad. My dad's episode was the number one episode. I got the most feedback on, um, my mom too. But, one of the things when I learned when I talked to my dad was there's so much more I have to learn about him, mm-hmm. even though he's been my best friend my whole life. Mm-hmm. I still don't know all the things mm-hmm. like um, and so I want, who knows, maybe I'll make it a frequent thing. Maybe it's twice, you know, uh, every quarter or something. I don't know. Right. But just in the world, we're all staring at our phones, computers, building businesses, whatever. We're busy. We don't have time to talk to people. And right. I, That's one of the things I've learned from listening to Rogan's podcast. It's like his genuine appreciation for sitting down and talking and looking at somebody in the eye for yeah. three hours, right? And I, it's and that's, lost. and that's
1: like when I when I was down there and hung out. Uh, you know, we did a show, and then uh, it was just him and I and Tyler sitting in a in a booth in his in his bar and his podcast. You know, down below his or uh, below his um his comedy club uh he's that guy like we stood we sat and talked for two hours and he is that guy like it was like we're doing a podcast but he's inquisitive and he's asking questions you know that's who he is Mm -hmm. it's It's not an act no it's it's he's a very cool person
0: he's genuinely the most curious person i've ever met
1: Mm -hmm. and also his recall in his brain oh i mean how does he do that i don't know i have no can you idea. do that no like, god no
0: i listen to his podcast. he's like yeah do you remember this guy from 19 blah, 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 blah. he did yeah this, this invented this
1: low or like this low-level fighter and it's like oh yeah, yeah no and in, in uh 2012 <laughs> the fight was over in ireland and he beat so-and-so with a head kick and it's like and he's talking about a dude that's like unknown <laughs> like, i don't the, know how he does that dude
0: i can barely remember what i did yesterday bonkers. and i don't remember names yeah like so, all the foreign like the names he remembers mm-hmm. you know it's like dude uh or a
1: study he read
0: <laughs> Like, have you ever read a study no god no, <laughs>
1: no. no. i've never read a study no
0: <laughs> yeah i've read wikipedia like sentences yeah you know yeah it's
1: amazing no it's it's incredible so yeah he's a cool dude well man i really appreciate you you coming on dude this is an honor man yeah. I, i'm so stoked for you guys it's an honor for me and um it's very cool to meet the guy that kind of helped push that because i'm i'm still to this day like aware you know sick of gear and mm-hmm. it's what i bought just at sportsman's warehouse back in the day and usually walked in there and looked at it all and couldn't afford it and put it back on the rack you know back in those days and then every now and then you get like one piece Mm -hmm. right and uh it's like you know start putting my little optifade kit together and um that's what it was like for a lot of us too was like you go in there and you try it on you look at it throughout the year and then you know you get a piece at christmas or you you know work some overtime and then like screw it i'm gonna go buy a pair of pants or whatever you know it's cool to meet you and and it's also cool to see i've you know i've, I've listened to quite a few of your episodes I, I enjoy your podcast the conversations you have you know so and you know, just in the network of being around like we'd never met each other but mm-hmm. like you're uh you know highly respected so
0: i well i i, I appreciate that and I've, I've been truly like i said i was a lost soul and i was truly blessed with you know what happened and um i I try not to let it go to waste Mm -hmm. And and i i truly enjoy coming and seeing things like this it keeps me it keeps me excited like it's amazing how fast your dreams can come true dude yeah i actually didn't realize that this only happened three years ago yeah that's fucking crazy yeah that's insane i thought i had it all mixed up what an incredible story and and there's people out there listening that have these things in their mind. Mm -hmm. The same thing can happen. Like it doesn't mean that it will.
1: Yeah. uh, And I can, I say it a hundred percent can happen. I mean, I started this during the COVID year of 2020, you know, and, um, but I didn't quit my full-time job until the 1st of January, 21. That's crazy. You know, so it's, but I tell people you, you you can't just quit your job and then just go start your dream. Like you have to start your dream a lot of times in the morning before work and at night late nights and weekends and then it got to the point where it was like i think i better quit like my my wife kept telling me you need to quit your job and i was just like man you know i had a good job like benefits and good wages and you know lineman jobs are a great job and it's there forever and mm-hmm. it's like it felt selfish right like i'm gonna quit a job to start something i want to start mm-hmm. but like i can pay my bills and retire and have a great life mm-hmm with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So why would you quit that? Cause most people around here would love to have that, you know? Yeah. Um, I saw my dad's str- struggles with, you know, being self-employed forever. And mm-hmm. there's several times when I was as, as, a lineman, he's like, dude, you got it made, you know, shit goes South Four thirty, you go home. It's not your problem. Mm-hmm. Like that's a different mentality than owning your own excavation company. And your backhoe breaks down on mm-hmm. Monday morning and you got to get it fixed. Like, yeah. You know, so, um, it is possible for people though with enough hard work and um
0: i think I you're right like, though i don't i think people you know if you read the TikToks and the instagrams enough be like fuck it just quit it's like yeah the the reason i was able to do what i was able to do is like we'd had enough equity in our house that when we sold it yeah. i could use that cash to start all my other stuff but that mm-hmm. meant i took like five steps backwards from a lifestyle perspective right and but everybody's different but i think i think what you said is the right way to do it like it's like it's a hobby slash like learn how to find what your passion is learn how to make a little bit of money with it Mm -hmm. or whatever on the side maybe it's on ebay maybe it's whatever there's so much so many ways to do it now and it's not as hard as it used to be and then pretty soon you'll be like shit i'm kind of making enough money yeah we're gonna have to make some lifestyle maybe we're not going to hawaii this year right but a couple years from now the way i looked at it was like i need to go down in lifestyle to go way up like my my long-term potential is much better going down this path than it would be going down this path. And you have to have, um, and I I know we're trying to end this, but. No, you're good. The thing that actually changed my life was sitting in my backyard on our our little cocktail table in Bozeman with my wife in like one of my darkest moments and being like, fuck it. We're going to write on one piece of paper what we want three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. What do we want in our life? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I've only thought about Sitka right i don't know what i what do we want and when you do like you know financially relationship kid wise where uh, geographically where do you want to be blah 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 blah. you go through this i think they call it a vision board is the term for it i didn't know what the hell it was but and we wrote it down and you're like holy shit yeah the path we're on ain't gonna get us there right and it's not all about money people make it about money right money comes when you do the right things Mm -hmm. i feel like the right amount of money will come but you have to like have something to aim at it's like trying to shoot a gun at something with no there's no target like right once we had something to aim at like i knew like by age 50 i want this that and the other thing and it's probably going to turn out to be a little bit different Mm -hmm. but at least we aimed the, the weapon in the right direction right and i had something to shoot for and i was able to clearly see that what we were doing was not working right that's what actually changed everything. And then, you know, the other stuff that I told you starts to fit together. Right. right. Does that right. make sense?
1: Oh no, a hundred percent. So, and, you there, can, and there's different stages in life. Like when I quit and did my thing, I had four kids and I was 39. Right. And, and a good job when you, for example, relating back to when you were young and you had this opportunity, like that's where I give people different advice. Well, if you're 25 and you oh, just have yeah. a girlfriend, screw it. Like, go yeah. send it to whatever. It doesn't yeah, matter, who right? who cares? If you're 40 and you have four kids and and responsibilities, you're in a different place. Yes. So, like, um, yeah, it's it's different at different stages in life. But, uh, you know, the other thing with the money thing is it's also, it's funny because I could sell all of this right now and probably have plenty of money, right? But I would immediately turn around and be like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, I... I I enjoy what I'm doing here. Like the money isn't the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Not not at all. And um I you know, there's a custom knife maker, Harvey Dean, that's a older knife maker, and he made a choice back in his thirties, forties, right in there when he quit his steel mill job or steel worker job to be a custom knife maker. He knew when he did that and his path for the rest of his life was not gonna involve much money. Making one custom knife at a time. It's it's a lot like that way for, you know, people who do di- pursue music for their whole life Mm -hmm. most people aren't going to be chris stapleton Mm -mm. right you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna sacrifice you're probably never gonna own that big house you're never gonna have that big yard and that boat and you're not going to go to hawaii every year and all that stuff right but ultimately that's health wise and for what how they want to live their life they get to pursue their passion Mm -hmm. but they're not going to be able to do the things their neighbor does yep but that's okay. Like Harvey said, like I just knew, but I was going to, it was going to provide him opportunities to, you know, as a full-time knife maker, making custom knives on a Wednesday, if he wants to leave the shop and go hunt, mm-hmm. he can, right. But that might mean he has to work Saturday, mm-hmm. but it allowed him flexibility. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is, is people, a lot of times are also too worried about the money when maybe that hobby can turn into your business, but that business is only going to make you a 70 grand a year. Mm-hmm. But if that's all you need to be happy, then fine. Like you, you, you can step out of that career where you're making one twenty. But you, like your point, Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to make some adjustments to your lifestyle.
0: You know, I get to work around a lot of wealthy people in my, in my one of my professions, and like there's a certain amount of money that makes you happier because financial problems are really real. I mean, I was the same. My dad was self-employed. My mom really never worked. If you're making forty grand a year, it's a struggle. I remember Uh, when my dad lost everything going from making a million dollars a year to zero Mm -hmm. and had to buy a 500 dollar like what looked like a rapist van and drive it for literally a year yeah and it barely ran and it broke down all the time i remember those struggles Mm -hmm. um i don't ever want to go through that right financial problems are real but money only solves financial problems right it doesn't solve all your other problems Mm -hmm. so you got to like get your life in order in all magnet all areas (laughs) but um it just depends what you want man like i have friends that money does not mean anything to them i have friends that just want to hunt 150 days a year they don't give a shit about money they don't even want to own a house right they don't care i care about money from the standpoint of by the time i'm 50 i want to be financially free enough to where i can only work and actually to be honest with you i'm already doing this i only work on the things that i really get some passion out of right um which i'm so i'm very lucky already maybe i've already reached that goal maybe i don't need any more i don't know but i money is part of my motivation but it's like one of like 10 things right but um you have to decide what you want i have musicians friends that would are just plenty happy just they want to just live out of a van and play music and yep make 200 bucks a night whatever man like we only get to live so long right do what you want but have something to aim at and if you are one of those people that want to get Rich, quote unquote. That's sticky motivation, right. but but if let's just say that's one of your top priorities, there's only a couple ways to do that, and right. one of them is starting a company. Right. The other one is to inherit it. Right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's basically. Well, and it's
1: going to come with no matter what, it's going to come with some sacrifices. I mean, maybe not the inheriting part, but whether you're starting a company or you're just a a career guy or a a brain surgeon mm-hmm. or whatever. It's going to come with some sacrifices, right? I mean, yeah. it, the reason people get rich and the reason they get paid that is because it takes a lot of time and a lot mm-hmm. of effort, and, they and get most rewarded. of them don't
0: ever get to spend it, really, right? I know people that are like, "Damn, I never really got to spend any yeah. of my money." Yeah, so I don't know. I'm I'm kind of more like, I don't it, just solving financial problems. That's like being able to pay your bills feels good, man. Yeah, like I remember when we were but Bo- there's there was when we first moved to Bozeman. You know, when Sitka was young, like none of us were getting rich. You know what right. it is, right. like. I remember having to ask my wife about buying a Starbucks coffee, mm-hmm. right? Hey, yeah, Bernie, for sure. Can I buy a $5 coffee today?
1: Yep. You know? Yeah, and same thing when I when I got divorced and trying to figure out how to save my house and I bought an old piece of shit truck for my foreman and then the second time I drove it with my kids up on Lolo Pass, it died and I did call for a ride. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there were, my house burned down. I lived in a camper in the driveway Jeez, with my four man. kids and like, you know, so, I mean, I was as broke as could broke could be, but- figured it out mm-hmm. you know um
0: so yeah car car, car problems are then another one of those i grew up with cars that <clears> didn't work yeah so when i finally had the ability to buy new cars new tra- yeah. like i have a new truck and i'm i, I don't care i'm paying the, the ugly payments on it because it doesn't fucking break down because i grew yeah. up with broke down cars no shit. so like i don't want my kids to deal with that our yeah. cars were always broke down but yeah. no man it just depends on what you want but i like shit comes true yeah like, especially these people that like in the day and age now art is more is valuable again. Like Mm -hmm. your art, Mm -hmm. um, whatever, maybe it's songwriting or painting or whatever. Like social media is powerful. YouTube is powerful. Show Mm -hmm. the world what you do, sell it on the side. And then you might get to a point. I know a a painter, she crushes it just.
1: Well, and I I say, you know, the thing, the tools you didn't have at Sika back in those days that like we have today is, you know, you can, and I never had this in my custom world, but like you can't, you have the most powerful marketing platform in the world available for free. So like with social media, mm-hmm. you can use that to build your brand and your company through, you know, I sick, kind of had it, but like, not like today. No, like yeah. where, where, where like we started, we were able to be largely an Instagram company market for free. Back when I was a custom maker, you had to buy ads in magazines. Mm-hmm. You had to go buy ads somewhere. If you were, montana knife company back then or you know let's say buck knives back mm-hmm. then you had to buy ads on a television show mm-hmm. so like for our ability these days to reach people so if you're a part-time guy in your garage doing something your ability to reach anyone is incredible it's such a powerful tool people shit on social media and you know there's the only reason social media is bad you know or it's how you use it you know and obviously there's bad shit on there but what do you use it for you know so so our you know we built a company off of it mm-hmm. it's an amazing
0: tool mm-hmm. you know so oh it's incredible but, i remember the day we started our instagram account on sitka it was a fight it's like you know if i remember the day we started a facebook account yeah it didn't exist uh marketing phew, that's a whole nother podcast but that mm-hmm. changes constantly but yep. to your point like me well it's a, it's a great time to be a mus- a young musician with right. tiktok Yep. You can get discovered on TikTok today. Yep. One freaking just recording on your iPhone. Well, the
1: dude the
0: dude that Rogan
1: had on red hair, oh, dude, yeah. you know, I mean that, yeah. that's that guy, right? Oliver like, Anthony? Yeah, the Oliver Anthony. That that's that guy. One yeah. song becomes mega mega Well, just turned down a
0: tour <laughs> with Garth Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable.
1: Unbelievable. So I mean that's that's the example right yeah. there. You know, that yeah. you can just be a dude in the hauler and be famous overnight.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No I Well,
1: where can people find you?
0: I uh, just uh, you follow me on Instagram, Dave Brinker underscore. Uh, my podcast has a YouTube channel. It's the Altitude Show. Um, it's obviously, I don't know, podcast platforms too. We put out at least one episode a week, sometimes two. Um, yeah, that's really it.
1: Well, man, I appreciate you making the effort to come over. It's I cool, love it. cool hearing your story. I appreciate you being open about it and telling us. So
0: Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah,
1: we'll have to do it again. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, thanks, bud. Absolutely.